you are listening to Poetry Darbar, a podcast where you will hear the poems, the shairies, the kavitas, and the poets of India. I'm your host, Lakshdatta. Poetry Darbar is back after a rather long break, which we can call the dark times, since the pandemic didn't and hasn't given me much room to travel, meet, and record the poets I've wanted to feature on this podcast. But we're back now, and that too for a very special episode. What you're about to hear is a rare treat these days, a proper, full, and fluid conversation between two poets, Sampurna Chatterjee and Karna Ezra Parik. A conversation like this is right at home for the Poetry Darbar podcast because you'll hear it like I heard it. As a fan of poetry, and the creative mindset. Sampurna Chatterjee, who you have heard on this podcast before, is a writer, teacher, editor, translator, who occasionally appears on the ether as Shampoo Chats. The second most recent of her 20 books, Space Gulliver, published by HarperCollins in 2020, is the subject, or rather, the context for this conversation. Karuna Ezra Parik who you may remember from my other podcast, Story Talking with Laksh, is a poet and writer, former television anchor and model known widely for her activism. She has written for Vogue, The Helka, The Wire, and Lonely Planet, amongst others. Her novel, The Heart Asks Pleasure First, was published by Pan Macmillan India in 2020. Her first book of poetry, called Where Stories Gather, is out now with HarperCollins. She lives in Kolkata, where she co-founded the sustainable company, The Burlap People. So as I said, the context and structure of this conversation is Sampurna's new book, Space Gulliver. In this book, Sampurna chronicles not only the journey of its alien protagonist, but also how one word or world changes into another. A fantastically engineered sequence here is poetry that is not afraid to be whimsical and astute at the same time, so that in the end, like Space Gulliver, the readers too will be no longer terrified of vastness. So here it is, Sampurna and Karuna, in Poetic Conversation. So I have spent the last week or so going through Space Caliber and uh, I, so, you know, I didn't know what to expect, to be honest. I didn't know anything about it. And I was definitely curious because of the name and the title to begin with. And once I started reading, you know, I was, I felt a great sort of sense of being elevated. And I don't know how else to explain it. It felt like a sort of higher consciousness, but without any of the uh, tropes of spirituality. In fact, it felt very irreverent, which I, I absolutely loved. And, you know, for me, the human experience is at best really weird, you know, and there's these moments where... I sort of uh, step back and I think this happens possibly to all of us at points where, you know, you step back and you say, what is this thing, this bed? What is a bed? (laughs) 
you know, what is a spoon? Why is a spoon? And there was a line, wait, I've written down some of my favorite lines, so I'm going to read it out. And it said, Space Gulliver is still getting used to getting time in little boxes. And for me, this sentence really uh, encompassed that feeling that I've felt so often and that feeling that overwhelmed me when I was reading the book. So is that, uh, have I sort of received it in the way you've intended it? Uh, yeah, first, you know, the thing of spirituality when you use the word, that was a bit of a surprise for me that higher consciousness, I think, uh, possibly what poets are always trying to tap into. But uh, the word spirituality these days uh, has so many overtones that we don't fully we want to be associated with or what does it even mean? Uh, all of that. So that's a brand new. That's like from left on, you know, this, this word that has just kind of passed like a meteor across my eyes. And I love the fact that that happened. Be, to be to be surprised by a, a reading of your own work, I think is one of the great gifts, isn't it? So first, mm. this is my long-winded way of saying thank you for reading <laughs> this book in this way. And uh, you know the thing about the weirdness of things, that is this a bed, is this... Um, I don't too because you write and you write poetry as well as prose is that how strange language is isn't it somehow related to our um sudden abrupt awareness which ambushes us often of how um arbitrary even the words are yeah and i think uh, maybe some of that comes too because when space gulliver is sitting in this unfamiliar world quote unquote unfamiliar world suddenly she is re-examining everything. So I think a bit of that strangeness is something that I definitely intended. Um, she's une she has become unused to getting time in little boxes. Um, I noticed this when I went, I wrote this in uh, Kent, right? This entire book. And there, I noticed that the notion of time was a lot more measured, restricted and confined than it is right here in India or in India really. Mm. And I, I don't intend it in that, you know, superficial way of saying Indian stretchable time. No, no, no. Something about um, measurable units. I have 15 minutes before my next meeting. I'm going to make sure I um, you know, don't overlap and spend two more minutes saying something else. I noticed this rigorous frightened me a little bit, I must confess, at the beginning. And I think I just ascribed that feeling to Space Gulliver. That was what I was doing in Canterbury. Whatever I was going through or experiencing, I was sort of parceling it out. He was my, he was my, uh, he was the person to whom I could offer this altered consciousness. Since you offered me that word, he became the repository of everything I had suddenly become conscious of. So I wasn't actually aware that you'd written it over there. That was going to be one of my 
early questions to ask the circumstances around the writing of it and uh sometimes i actually feel it's wonderful to read a work not knowing uh you know the practical things and facts around it so that's a lovely revelation and it kind of uh sheds more light on the word alien right in the title and you know when i was growing up of course alien was this magic being you know the bobble head uh you know the et figure you know this streaking across the moon kind of uh character and then as i grew older you know the alien acquired uh, especially cinematically a kind of horror story to it and today we are very much uh, the way we use the word alien and the way it's leaked into uh, geopolitics has definitely turned into a sort of real life horror figure right um and who we call alien who we get to call alien so i was actually going to ask you because i read about the fact that you weren't even born in india you know you were born in another country on another continent and i was going to ask you about your experience as an alien uh over all these different spaces that you have occupied and now it makes more sense in context to what you say about having written it uh in the west as well and in uh, england so yeah i wanted to know more about that experience and not just this of writing this but of course writing one piece of work uh it is an accumulation of experiences life experiences that add up to this you know so the entire sort of journey from birth yeah that's in fact such a wonderful question because it also encompasses the fact that no one is alien to the concept of alien hmm. isn't it and alienation nation is a word we shy away from because it's perhaps overused in academic discourse but everyone at a very visceral level has perhaps at some point felt uh, on the outside of things and yeah. i think the fact you are you kind of reminded me you know i tend to forget that it has been all those places and all those strangenesses including being born in ethiopia and then coming back to darjeeling when i was just 8 months old and yet africa seeming to assume the proportion of a motherland in mm. my imaginary space you know and um constantly i think you know it's not something that you notice but when you look back now i'm looking back um this journey through the prism of the question you put to me and i've just remembered that when i was growing up in darjeeling i did grow up as uh, for many years the only girl in an all boys residential school okay and i remember writing a little prose thing because you know cautious writer start early and i remember writing a list i'd forgotten about the list for all these years in which i define what an alien is dot dot you know someone who does not know when janmashtami is that's the one i remember i had no idea about when janmashtami was you know that was the kind of kid i was and the kind of family that i belonged to so i think this idea of um somehow always being at odds with with the mainstream like always being the at a tangent 
uh, and finding ways in which that position of being at a tangent of being away um i think you know it's a lonely place let's put it that way when you're growing up you start filling that huge gap between you and whoever the rest are uh you you start filling it up with imaginary okay so maybe that's the that's the place where the writing begins because you're you're uh, creating things already that is called right to be like this uh and i remember when um, another teacher's daughter uh, was with me class there was a sense of oh my goodness i have someone now who is like me but when i went to loreto uh, down in darjeeling down in town suddenly it was the girls who were very strange so i think mm-hmm. strangeness is provisional strangeness is all changing uh, suddenly the girls felt very alien and i was like who are these unfamiliar creatures so i think it's a very 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 complex question you are and i think the uh, going to going to england for example should not feel like a very difficult journey because one experience and internalize it through the literature through the movies the previous visits but the minute you inhabit a place as a as a person there who goes and does her shopping and you know does the the daily business of living you know which is what one needs when you're anywhere um you start noticing cultural differences you start noticing things that mark you as an alien and yeah. i remember uh, becoming uh, i think more sensitive to that not in a not in a not, i wasn't i didn't at any point feel hostility because it was a very warm and congenial atmosphere but at every level there was this sense look it's not it's not uh i am removed i i am several because you know uh, anxiety and also i think possibly why i wrote all these poems so it gave me this if i had felt very comfortable no i don't think i would have written save balaka mm. it's it's interesting that you say that because one of the bits that i loved in the book sorry there's a sound is this sound can you hear this i sorry give me one second ah it's gone there's just this beeping sound there yeah. i was saying it's interesting that uh, you say that because one of the things that i loved was your mention of handel in the book in one poem and i think uh, on yeah and you speak uh, about uh, his experience do do you have the page i think i marked it as well um, yes it's page 14 it's page 14 i'll just open it out there ah uh, yeah that one hmm. yeah on this very day in 1723 as royal composer but he couldn't get paid because as the document says he was an alien did he arrive then playing a blue streak landing on the square before the cathedral with a small surprising joke i i loved this and it kind of uh, you know you think of handel as this figure you know when it comes to classical music and then you think of 
uh, who all has felt like an alien or been an alien actually not even felt like who all has been an alien uh, and I found that fascinating and I thought you know uh, yes Space Gulliver is presented as a visitor but perhaps we are all visitors and there's another layer of complexity that uh, was almost uncomfortable for me at points in the book in a good way uh, where you realize that when the alien comes back to this side of the world or the universe, uh, the alien misses uh, the proximity to the stars, let's say, you know, that's so then you are an alien in both places in some sense. Um, and this idea that, sorry, there's a Was it a train by? Sorry, I can't hear. I'm just, there's a train passing. So I'm going to let it pass and then continue that sentence. Yeah. Yeah. And this idea that when you, uh, though you, you may expand your universe and you may inhabit many worlds at one point, that doesn't necessarily make you feel less alien anywhere. Uh, so I thought that was explored really beautifully. There's this whole other aspect uh, in the book that, you know, it struck me very soon into uh, reading the poems that it definitely more so than other poetry calls on your suspension of disbelief. And as I was reading that, you know, I became engulfed in Space Gulliver's world and I believed in Space Gulliver so much and I was journeying with Space Gulliver and then I reached a point, I think of uh, page 18, I reached this point where I realized that Space Gulliver herself is discussing her own process of suspension of disbelief. And I just loved that, you know, uh, and it takes you back to the first time as a child, you are called upon by uh, words to do that. And I just adored that part. Mm, thank you. Because, you know, this is, I think, uh, it's too nice that you picked this up because it's really that, you know, it has to do with so much of what is the landscape of our imaginary. Mm. Okay. So, when grown up, I feel a lot of it, I keep, I'm sorry, I'm just going back to Darjeeling because I think being in England was so much very similar to being in Darjeeling in terms of weather, in terms of British public school, in terms of all of that, in terms of fog and all that. But it was also like this. That is where one hid inside the books, hid me who I was also. So this particular poem that you picked up uh, is directly, it's talking about the lion, the witch and the wardrobe, okay. you know, because it's just saying the lion was a symbol. She read him purely as lion and loved him, his voice, his mane, his strength, which he knew how to curb. Okay. The witch was real, complicated only by her ignorance of snow, which she had seen. And it's true in the Ajilin, once when I was there, there was active snow and I remember how brilliant it was. Uh, but the real snow that you lived in happened only in Kent when I arrived with the snow still on the ground. And um, 
I think towards the end, where it the wardrobe was functional. Yes. Um, that's where suddenly it's the adult self, no? Where the wardrobe, what is put clothes in? But no, it's um, it's a place that allows you. It's a portal, really, into another world. Yeah? And how do we then have access to that transformation? For that transformation, you needed boys, brothers, needed metal and fire. This is all. I mean, this this book. I think to and extend much greater than all the other books more of my childhood and me than any other book i've dared write uh, before you know because there was this alien i could funnel it through and when she says um one little skill advanced fearlessly towards another world fictitious and so believable so i think the I'm just. I suppose I'm making some sort of claim uh, for fiction as the place where the reality may be found. Perhaps. Yeah, and and I found it a very uh, sort of meta moment because in you know this is the sort of claim and request and process that's taking place in the poem. Which is then taking place in the book in its entirety, which is the process I was going through while reading it. So it was a many-layered moment um, in that suspension of disbelief that I was speaking of, and using Narnia, um, you know, as this world to you know this trigger world, let's say, for that process. So yeah, that was. Uh, this poem in particular really struck me and you know i love this bit um it says only enchantment allows bathtub a place to have baths altered bathtub a place to float boats and it brought me back again to what we have ascribed things to do and you know what we uh, say their function is and what their function can be uh in a world where uh, you know, something is fictitious and so believable. Yeah, I'm really, very moved that you've been reading this so internally and empathetically. So there is this, yeah, it's all it's strange. No, I think poets are constantly negotiating strangeness, mm. and I'm also very interested in the word mess. Which I mean, there are poems later which talk about what happens when you add the the nest to a word. You know, there is one poem uh, I can't remember which page it's on. Abness, for example, um, I was thinking, where are the colors? Sometimes when you live in a in a world that is that lights up only when the sun comes out, as happens in England. You know, uh, you start yearning. Yeah, it's on page 39, uh, Karuna. Ah, you know, and it has to do with this outside, inside that you were also talking about. This, you know, the layering. If you look down where you're saying, you're also saying about what a cafe on a rooftop may not be a whimsical dream. Useful, a place for humans to find the warmth that is a portion whimsically. 
So I think, I don't know, um, being in a place where reticence, okay, reticence is, I think, the key word in this poem. Uh, always used to think it's, uh, it's, a myth, it's a myth, you know, the British reticence or understatement or the, but I did notice that there was a kind of reticence. So outside approach from the sealed reticence of inside, outside the first word that a baby might learn to say instead of all the other. Okay, and awareness of being sealed in and being inside, outside, doesn't that somehow relate also to what you began the conversation with about what is alienness? Depends on where you are, are you inside, outside, and which world? Because if you're on the planet and you're missing the stars, you know, then with where are you alienated from? I guess I didn't really think about all of that, but you've made me now think about these. Yeah. So the nest added to any word, warping it towards similitude. So if I can create likenesses between unlike things, I think that's some of the some of the play that I've attempted. So maybe that to do that saying that maybe it's not so unfamiliar after all maybe a leech and a leak how related you know so those yeah. sort of whimsicalities yeah yeah i'm i'm a very strong believer in in you know the placing of words that in meaning might seem unlike each other but sometimes in sound or rhythm are very similar. I'm very, uh, I'm very in favor of placing them next to each other and seeing what happens to the meaning. And I think that you've done that so remarkably in this again and again. And I think that is also the, um, the surprise of reading poetry comes out in that, right? Because, uh, and there is this part uh, where you play with word and world and, I think the last, uh, you know, in the description right at the end, it says word uh, and world. And, oh, yeah. and I, I found that um, just that word in itself, world with, uh, you know, the L in brackets, I found that in itself so descriptive of the entire collection uh, because of the placement of words and what each one begins to encompass and how it kind of with the weirdness of placing two words that otherwise you never see next to each other by each other uh, you create the possibility of a new world right um, and that is the alien space again i uh, yeah i was really into that actually i also uh, you know there's this other line that struck me it said uh, about how space caliper is unafraid of uh, not unafraid, it's that she is no longer terrified of vastness. Uh, that was, and I'm just using different lines that I uh, really, really enjoyed as prompts for thoughts here. So, you know, stop me if you want to uh, do this no, any I other way. It. I love it. No, okay, no. super, super, super. Ah. So, uh, so this line really struck me and I read it over and mm. over she is no longer terrified of vastness and i thought about it so much and i said okay you know when are you unafraid of vastness and i want to be unafraid of vastness and i thought that you know to 
to be in that state where you are no longer afraid of fastness, you have to sort of, it, it calls on your sense of this, of your own smallness and your acceptance in your smallness. And I think, you know, you, um, you can sort of, there are two responses to a feeling of smallness. One is, of course, uh, fear, which is uh, from the ego. And the other is a deep sense of peace, which is, you know, from the acceptance. And this is an alien acceptance, isn't it, of uh, seeing the universe, uh, or as, as you call it, Brahman, for what it is. And I just loved that. Uh, tell me about being unafraid of vastness. I really want to know more about that. Ooh. Yeah, wow. You know, this thing about smallness, let's begin at the beginning, which is <laughs> uh, the body. Okay, this is the body mm. uh, which you inhabit. The first world that you inhabit is really the body. Okay, so when I, I have always been excruciatingly aware of my size, okay, which is five foot nothing in my sock. Okay, <laughs> so five foot nothing in my sock, everybody is towering over you for the for your whole life. Um, makes you aware rather early that you're very small, but there's another side to this, which is growing up in Darjeeling. Uh, that was, I think, my first introduction idea of scale because from my windows in my home on the campus in right on top of the hill on a clear day when you could just open the windows and see the entire Kanchenjunga just lit up and just there and you were a little girl and it just felt like it was just so right, Karuna. There was, I mean, there was a sense, you know, when little girl, you don't get overwhelmed that easily. At least I didn't get overwhelmed that easily. Things like, uh, there was this feeling that this is how it is. This is the scope of the world. Uh, this is, this is where I am. And all is well. Okay, that is the kind of feeling I had when I was, that got, of course, much more complicated when we left uh, Darjeeling and came to Kanpur and I realized that reality is seeing the Kanchenjunga outside your window on clear day. It's a lot harsher and, uh, and uh, harder. Yeah, so all of that comes later. But I think that sense of magnitude and a sense of immensity that is just so natural because it is of and from and in nature. I think that was embedded in me very early before I could even understand it. Yeah, so that uh, sense of vastness was a very comforting one. And therefore, the sense of terror only came later when I was no longer in that that same safe environment. Because going from Darjeeling to the north of India, you can imagine the polarity. Okay. But to step back and answer your question, which is 
how do you become unafraid of vastness is there an, again is no longer afraid is that the line because i'm trying to understand uh, where i was when i wrote this it says the line i wrote down is she is no longer afraid of vastness i'm trying to check what page it was on but this yeah, is yeah i'm really loving it yeah yeah it's right here on page 3 where it says she is, is no start? longer terrified of vastness yeah okay, she is I no longer terrified of vastness yes terrified of vastness i think this was my way of reorienting myself which is the grown up self who has way who has in that travel lost that lost the lack of fear along the way somewhere there was a losing right how does one regain that how does one regain that i think it's me trying to find a way of saying it's okay to have flown so many miles to come to a strange country in order to write a book i mean if you were to actually be truthful about where this poem comes from because this is written chronologically okay oh. so as i go as i go into and it's framed and constructed from as i go along um i'm getting accustomed to this newness and i think by suggesting that space gulliver is no longer afraid of vastness um i'm controlling myself that neither am i because i after all have created a space gulliver so perhaps but i will get courage from her courage so i really don't know where that came from but i have a feeling it has to do with also being safe inside your room with a warm blanket which was lent to me by an irish friend but it was so comforting to know that she had blanket in dharamsala so when she gave it to me because she realized i was like chill to the bone it literally felt like of home you know and i, I think uh, it's a security blanket and that makes you feel okay you're not afraid of vastness you're here you can wrap yourself up small and besides which you are a space traveler if you travel so far what what fear got to do with yeah i i love uh, you know i now i understand when you speak of the chronology because in the same poem uh you know it says and earthly things disturb her materialize all around her with their unflinching edges their resolute past even the drapes on the walls and the intricately carved bedstead on which she lies uh, i won't continue here but two pages later or four pages later rather uh it's lovely because there's this line uh where he said space caliber knows she is watched she likes being watched by the great benignness and this kind of it was lovely listening to you talk about kanchanjunga uh my father uh, spent his childhood in darjeeling as well uh and at st pauls and so you know this was the view that he would wake up to and he was a little boy when he went there and he was a he was and is a dreamer and uh i think that vision really felt like home to him as well and he's spoken about it very often so it was especially moving hearing you speak about that uh but this line came to mind when you were talking about that she likes being watched by the great benignness 
you know uh, i think the sky you know the sky has always had this enormous fascination uh for me because when i stand and i look at the sky i think i'm reminded of my oneness and i'm just yeah it is a, it is a very have it i mean i think it's become clearer to me even now because of the i mean inevitable reference to the lockdown but i'm just thinking of the um, days and months when i was writing this book uh, you you have a room and you have a window and i remember that window having access to the entire sky and so much of uh so much of orientation sky which is a funny thing because the sky is constantly changing so how does that orient you but i think because there is the sense of the constancy that benignness you know and uh, the earthly coordinates um, are there they are probably they are they don't come for the cathedral in this in this book canterbury cathedral is was very much one of the earthly uh, coordinates that i see i know where i am i mean i'm in kent and there's the canterbury cathedral and uh, that is an earthly coordinate but i think the the sky was the place that grounded me if that um contradiction makes any sense to me no it really does uh it's you know it the sky as a compass makes sense especially for an alien yeah. uh yeah i you know you keep talking about uh being in kent and of course you know it being a warm society and you're not facing hostility but regardless you know i've i've lived in the uk as well i've lived in wales uh for 3 or 4 years and spent some time in london after that and you know despite not experiencing direct hostility uh you know there is obviously the sense of being an alien and i was thinking about that and how you held it up uh you know to the the space alien of our childhood uh and you know one thing that we've seen that hasn't changed between the you know 60s and 70s space race till now is that space uh is the domain of white men you know uh the alien is the other but space is the domain of white men and as i was reading i felt you take away space both literally and figuratively from the white man and you know i come back to this word i've said it earlier in this chat but the fact that you don't use the word cosmos that you use brahman you know uh and that is really taking it away and i love that as well uh and you know there are the, there there are patakas there is narsimha you know so there are all these people in space gulliver's version of space uh and space felt brown to me and that was wonderful <laughs> i am so so glad to hear this and also isn't it funny we are having this conversation when two white men have gone up uh, and he's spending horrific amounts of money and really blatant blatant exhibitionism of 
Uh, so I'm just loving the way this conversation is going, Brahman. Yeah, because Brahman, I mean, it's big. Uh, because I am a little brown person <laughs> in this big white world, you know. And I would notice that. You know, funny thing is, I mean, the story is getting so anecdotal when it shouldn't be. But I was put. I think it was a mistake. I thought they thought I was much younger, and they put me in a in the dorm. Okay, not a dorm. You know what it is? Those yeah, yeah. flat college accommodation. Yeah. <laughs> and there I was. It was very nice. It was very warm because the earlier the ones that they actually the little houses that they have for the most senior people are not so well heated because they are older um, accommodation. So I was very delighted, but that did mean that I was in residence with the grad. So every time they would give, and we, it was a shared kitchen. So when <laughs> am I going to? I mean, shared kitchen haven't done that before. But it was very interesting for me because there would be the accents and there would be the, you know, the the strange little things that I would have, I would pick up. Like, see you later. I was like, but I'm going to see you in like maybe five minutes. Do you have to say <laughs> see you later every five minutes when I come to get a cup of tea? So those kinds of peculiarities were very amusing. But it was very interesting because there was a Russian girl. Olga, I thank her. I I mention her in my acknowledgments. And she's and she's here. and she's in the poems as well. Yes, she's making pancakes on show Tuesday. Yes. Marvelous yeah. girl. So she, in fact, she was. She helped me. It was so strange that I I would. She was really very kind, and she was also very domesticated. So she, I would observe how she would handle her her domestic. and i would attempt to you know uh, follow her and ask her um for help on you know small things so yeah i think it's these little things that uh, point out the it's not hostility but let's say difference because i think sometimes you just become aware of difference and i think it's possibly a good thing you know i don't know whether you this is on thick You've opened the book at one page. I'm just wondering if it's page twenty-six. Is it? No, I'm on page ten with Olga. Uh, Olga, the A, okay, which is it? Yeah. Uh, the A seventy-four in Glasgow yes. on page ten. Yes, I loved yes. that one yes, too. That yes. one's fab. Oh, this, doesn't it end with the thing talking about? Um, not only will we have a stronger border in future, it will smell like. Plums sound like bubbles in a very white mouth. This is that intonation when you have the you know the plum British accent delivering the Daily News. So really, this is my way of embedding these, and it's amazing that you've caught so many. And yes, Olga's here. She learns ballet in town. We'll make pancakes tomorrow. It's Pancake Tuesday. So she was one way of. I think it was nice. It was funny that an, a a young Russian girl felt very much closer to me than a lot roommates. But on page twenty six, uh, Karuna, why is this room so hot? Because I come from a country. I I love. Has I love. I always it. wanted to say that. Okay, this is, and we were speaking of Wales. 
any because this particular thing was said to me when i was in wales and i had kept my room really hot and i remember uh, one of the welsh poets coming in and saying why and i found myself saying because i come from a tropical country it's and, such a uh, it's such a fab line it jumped out at me uh, especially because of the the line before space gulliver feels muffled giggles exploding inside her like damp potakas you know so yeah. Uh, that made me laugh. No explanations. Yeah. No explanations. <laughs> no glossaries offered for the for the incomprehending reader. And oh. why should there be? Yes, yes, indeed. Reclaiming, as you say. Yeah, I. You know, you you spoke about uh, smallness, and there's a poem mm. that. Uh, talks about uh, a small person uh, your ladybird sister that 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 was <laughs> i i don't know yes. i know that uh, we said that you would read out some poems and no. i had i had a couple of requests i don't know which ones Please, you wanted I'll, to i'll be very happy to read a request poem okay so, so definitely amazing so let me check i've written down uh it's it was a long list and so i want to choose uh i think i'm going to go with page uh 48 about okay. space gulliver's sadness being monumental ooh that is a long poem wow the are you inflict it on people <laughs> is it is it do you feel it's too long to read out for Possibly, a, a you know chat? what i might do is that i might record it separately and we can Super. plug it in would you that think? works because i it's think i it's this is the i mean it's one of the it's it's, the, it's one of the request poems i get a lot because i can imagine really my love song to the poet in my life it it is uh, it felt like that and uh, you know as a writer myself i felt so seen and so heard and so beloved when i uh, read this poem it was profoundly moving for me and uh, you know and the fact that it starts with space gulliver's sadness is monumental uh, and it's also Uh, you know not to again bring it back to this time that we're living through but it's a wonderful poem uh, for you know the chronicles of the loneliness of this time and these years where we are so separated from our friends and our like minded friends and we are often home with uh, people who may not always uh, understand the depths of our souls you know so uh, i thought it was a lovely poem for this time but i do think it might be better to record it separately as you said and so then i will request the ladybird poem if that's okay <laughs> how nice i i've never read that poem out aloud ever you know um let me find it uh page 15 oh yes this is the ladybird poem please gulliver finds her sister the ladybird neither lady nor bird it sits on the thick glass window a hemisphere unto itself 
it has traveled a long way to see her from 35 years ago. It has ridden on the blade of sharp green grass that cut the tongue if you sucked it, that hid four-leaf clovers and the fallen mysteries of moss. To arrive unannounced as only a relative name, her on the thick glass window that measures four degrees to her bare palm as she rested next to the ladybird in her of simple recognition that her sister misunderstands as violence, wings springing up like the blades of a flick knife, ladybird tumbles and lies on her back on the sill, tumbling as she does from to she seamlessly. Face Gulliver tries to help her find her balance and succeed. Heedless and somewhat cunning, Ladybird sits absolutely still, playing dead. Face Gulliver takes a photo of her sister for the family album. So small, she has to hold the camera close. So close, focus blurs, and all she gets is a little black dot. When she takes to the window, Ladybird has flown. Such blindness. Putting her camera away, Face Gulliver puts the clothes of them, herself and runaway kin. How far must they fly to really get away? How useless those little wings. Is this the one she loved 12,700 odd mornings ago? Some wet green on a hillside, her breath the only cloud. I feel very honored that that's the first time you've done a reading of it. And I feel uh, happy that I could be the sole witness to it the first time. So thank you. Um, I am sure you've noticed that, you know, I've been going through this slowly because I wanted to truly absorb each one and I did not want to rush through the book. And because I only received it recently, uh, a lot of my commentary and questions are from the first half of the book. But I was wondering if uh, there's, and you know, that I wish I could have read it in its entirety and therefore sort of traveled with it and done the entire journey of Space Gulliver with you. But I was wondering if there was anything you wanted to tell me about the journey of the entire book because you said it's chronological and uh, what to expect in that journey from start to finish. And I'm sure for people who haven't read it yet, but who would be uh, excited to after this chat, maybe they'd like to know about that. Yeah, I think, you know, the narrative impulse um, strong in this book of poems. So while I, when I was writing, I was writing the Space Gulliver poems, writing, you know, the dense prose poems, which are like journal entries, which are just like, you know, notations almost. And the one that uh, you remarked on the Handel poem. Yeah. Those are my cathedral poems. Okay. And I've, I've spoken about this before, the three kinds of forms that you find in this. 
excellent when I was putting the book together, and because you know it was also the practice. Because I was there about on this fell, I wanted to make the most of this time and write something. Uh, I wrote every day in a way that perhaps I would not do if I were here and I had other things to take care of, um, you know, and family and stuff like that. So I made it a point to write every day, whether whichever type of poem felt right for that day, so whether it was the Space Gulliver poem or whether it was just the journal and mark. One of my um, beer drinking poems, because. Um, that was one of the journal entries that felt like oh that we read out loud so those and um when i was assembling the book i was a little puzzled like how does it go together and then i realized it's really like a tripod the whole thing is like pretty much like the tripod on which i have currently fixed my phone to which i'm having this conversation with you it's the tripod that holds it steady and I realized it is it is the triangulation of these different forms that makes the book this thing that it is, this three-dimensional thing that it is. Okay. And so the one thing that I would offer to people who might want to read it is that read it. Of course, you know, you you open it, you see something you like. That's another way of reading it. I think if you pretended that it was some sort of novel. Um, and some sort of fictional odyssey of, of a kind, you would actually uh, gain secret pleasures because you would travel with Space Gulliver from being this newly arrived visitant to being more and more implicated in the world that she finds herself in. So she falls in love, she explains um, and divulges, masquerades, she is sad, she travels to other places, she comes back, she grieves, she is tired. You know, there is a sense, and when it's time for her to come back, it, there is sadness because she's going to leave. It's a little bit of having said that this is the way the circle closes. And how is, how is it? Um, how is it that we come back, how is it that we go away? Because I think it's a lot about movement, isn't it? Because when it says space Gulliver, where does she come from? She comes from outer space. And when she has to go, she writes, it's right at the end. I mean, it's because it's, this is not time filler or a whodunit, we could read the last poem out. Because, you know, when it says, it really is interesting. I've never even read this one out, and but maybe I will, because it goes yeah. like this. When Space Gulliver finds the sparrow in her room, beating its against the window she has left wide open, the terror of her alien presence making it forget the way it entered, she knows the next visitant is ready. She clears out slowly thinking she leaves behind will be filled again to bursting detritus building a nest that feels safe in the strongest wind in lack of sun 
and how she had arrived with empty hands and waited for the earth to turn. It feels so complete, you know. <laughs> I uh, I did at one point, you know, I opened, and this is before I knew it was chronological. I just casually opened to the back of the book because I often read poetry like that, you know. We open to different pages and uh, treat ourselves to just one poem here and there. And I opened to page 78 and Space Gulliver seemed so human at this point that I knew I had to go right back to the start. Uh, and, you know, that that feeling of it being chronological is, it's um, even without the knowledge of it, it's very obvious because it is a very sort of clear emotional journey. It might not always be linear, but it is definitely clear in the direction it's moving in. Um, and there's a poem on page 75, uh, where you also reference Adele, and I thought that was fantastic. Um, so yeah, so these poems, I just looked at uh, two or three pages towards the end, and I did get that sense. Uh, and mm. yeah, Space Gulliver seems very grounded by that point, very human in emotion. Uh, you know, this point, Space Gulliver realizes with new shame, uh, that she too was caught unprepared, you know, uh, all the guilt in the universe. These are very uh, human yeah. terms and they don't appear yeah, yeah. in the first few poems at <laughs> no, all. You know? No, no, no. It's really, that's the right word if you use the emotional journey. Mm. And the fact that she's willing to acknowledge it. And I think it comes from the fact that as we go along the journeys are really about the people and the poets and the other experiences, the extra textual experiences. And at one point, um, it, there's a line where I, I think I wrote, place has encroached her. Yeah, yeah, I saw it's that. It's like yeah. normally humans encroach place, but place yeah. has encroached her and somehow she's a bit upset. She's like, yeah. I thought I was alien to this place and I didn't like it and I was keeping it outside me, but now it's inside me. You know, and she's a bit irritated with herself and she wants to remove her name. She wants to get rid of her name. So all kinds of things are happening. And it's interesting that you pick that up despite the lack of the chronological lead, which goes to show that uh, that writers are, are the true navigator, uh, the readers. Readers are the true navigators because they will find their entry point and then go back and forth no yeah <laughs> so the tyranny of the the tyranny of the authorial um, directive or the authorial orchestration um, may at some point be relevant because the the reader may find his or her own way into it around it you know so that's lovely that that has happened yeah and it's lovely that the the poems are the guide uh, you know, with with you don't need the rule book. You know, the poems guide the reader that way uh, quite naturally. You know, which is yeah. Did you were you irritated when you found that there were poems at the back of the book, Karina? Because uh, did you did you wonder why there were poems after the acknowledgement? 
No, I so I uh, flipped to that and I saw that, but then yeah. I thought that oh that I, I kind of felt like oh that's an extra treat for later. So I went back to the okay. start. Yeah. Because, yeah, because yeah, I, I'm not going to look at no that. Rule book. No, no, don't, don't. Because yeah. you said no rule book, I really didn't follow any of those rules. It was good. Yeah, I mean, so, it's good for me, I guess, more than anyone. Well, it's great for it is a bit like navigating outer space. I love that, <laughs> you know. Uh, there, there are no roads, and uh, you know that, that's great. I wanted to ask you. So, so you wrote this in two thousand, or rather, it was published in two thousand and fifteen first. And this issue, uh, if anyone's watching, you can check this out. This uh, was reissued by HarperCollins last year. Am I right? That's exactly right. With okay, a new so, cover, and it's part of the yeah. keepsake. I think it's called the keepsake editions or something like that. Yeah, yeah I have. Uh, I have another one of these. I have uh, Tishani's Countries of the Body. Mm -hmm. Hers it's a pink yeah. cover, and so I was familiar with yeah, yeah. Uh, this series. Um, and yeah, so okay, so this came out last year. So how does it actually feel, uh, you know, to be revisiting this after you know five or six years? Does it feel odd, you know, because we've often moved on as writers and mm -hmm. you know in a completely different place? I can't imagine discussing my novel in five years. I don't know how does that feel. You know, it's, this is such a good question because I often feel like that about my poetry book and even my fiction, uh, the novels, etc. But, and I was thinking that will I even be able to pick up that connective tissue again? What does it mean? Hey? Mm. And I wish I had kept the earlier book handy because that had that cover and my purple boots in it. So, and, his, and his they are in there <laughs> the book yeah and they were on the cover space gulliver's walking shoes are purple it says okay and i remember i walked so much my boots broke and i had to leave them there i said i cannot leave these poor boots alone and you know bereft and abandoned so i photographed them in different parts of canterbury people must have thought i was crazy i had a little bag i had my boots i would stop i would photograph i would move on okay I made a little photo journal and when we were doing design ideas for the first edition, I said, let's just have my boots on them now, please. Because they were my trusty boots, they saw me too, you know. So to answer your question at two levels, when it was rejacketed, I felt um sort of serious fang. I felt like I'm being cut off from that from that empty space gulliver with my walking shoes on it that was me that was mine this suddenly became a little disembodied became part of a series and i was like okay uh, then when it came out and i saw it uh, with the set i was oh this is so nice and also remember karuna you're so aware of this as a poet yourself for a poet book in more than one edition is such a rare thing that one part of me was also feeling so glad that out of all the editions they had so many so many titles they picked 10 i was so glad that space Oliver was one of them about the content did i feel that i could connect back you know surprisingly and perhaps this is i've not even confessed it even to myself i was a little nervous but i am you know as i talk about it with you in such detail 
I feel so relieved that I don't feel like disowning any of you. Because the, the, not, not just in terms of content of who I was then and who am I now, and has my craft changed, and oh God, I would never have written that line now. Not just in that very personal way, but also in terms of the core of it. I think the core of it is still very much true to me. I mean, it's not so much about have I stayed in the same place? Have I traveled further? There's a certain sense of circularity and returning, uh, which makes me feel that I wrote this book. Yeah, I rarely, I mean, I feel that very rarely and I rarely confess that. So I don't feel disconnected or I don't, let's say, I don't feel alienated from this earlier version of myself. That's beautiful. That's, uh, I feel that's very, that's a rare gift that art gives back rare. to us. No? Very, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it has to do also with the reading, Karuna, because with every new reading, I think a book gets dated only if it's, I'm not even talking about language and vocabulary and what the subject matter is. What renews a book, every time a reader picks up a book, it's renewed and refreshed, isn't it? It's a new pair of eyes. Maybe that's how it feels, this renewal of connection. I was just going to say that as a new reader of this book, uh, you know, it it has new, it has very recent and very new contexts as well. You know, we were just talking about, uh, you know, white men in space, or we're talking about uh, COVID and it has context to each of those things. Uh, so yeah, I think that uh, there will be contemporary readings of it uh, uh, again and again that will refresh it and hopefully do the same for you as well uh, as the writer of it. Thank you. I hope so. Uh, I am questioned out, I think. I need to absorb a lot of what think, we've spoken yeah. about. Uh, and also I, I was thinking it's been so intense, like it's been intense. So thank you very much, Karina, because it's just, I feel, wow, it's like the lines from my beer poem, which says, it begins with Stella, my unspeaking companion at the trestle table, refreshing and cold the way she knows to be on a day that feels like a mo. And here is the poet, you know, this trestle table, there is a cool glass of Stella. And finally, the poet is tired of listening, absorbing. And she says, Stella, shall we go home? So I think maybe this is a good, we are at home. It's like, shall we just go away and have a cup of tea or a cup or a glass of beer, each in our own spaces. Yeah, I yeah, I feel uh, I feel full and I feel uh, fulfilled. You know, this has been a really wonderful chat. I would uh, you know love to talk to you more once I finish it, and I hope that 
anyone listening in on this chat is inspired to pick up the book, I'm going to hold it up here. It's Space Culliver Chronicles of an Alien. And uh, I think this edition is available everywhere at, uh, right now. Uh, it would be nice if you're watching, if you purchased it from an independent bookstore. Uh, and thank you so much. This has been really, really wonderful. I must say I was nervous to speak to you about it because of the bounty of the work. Uh, but I was also excited and I think the latter uh, trumped my fears. So thank you and thank you for being so generous with your thoughts uh, and your reflections on it. Ah, thank you. I'm looking forward to more conversations. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Poetry Darbar. If you haven't yet, do check out our previous episodes or any of the other podcasts made by me and Launchora, such as our latest Silsila Ye Chahatka. You can find info on everything I make and Launchora makes on our Instagram handles, mine's at laksh.d, and Launchora's is at launchora underscore official. And I hope we'll meet again, somewhere, in this vast universe of stories. <laughs>